You're listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast, your number one source for discussions about the Vols and Lady Vols basketball programs. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're also on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. Now, get ready for a new episode of Vol Basketball Fever. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to another episode of Vault Basketball Fever. I am Nathaniel Rutherford, joined by Gene Henley here for another episode of the show. Thank you all so much for tuning in, whether you're watching this on YouTube or you're listening to this on the podcast. Thank you all so much, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, again, YouTube, however you're, you're taking this in, we really appreciate it. Love the support, and thank you guys so much. If you're on YouTube, give this video a like and share it around. We're going to have a ton of recruiting talk for this episode. You guys are going to really enjoy it. Because since we last talked to Gene, Tennessee got another commitment on the men's side of things. And we also got an interesting recruiting, I wouldn't say story, but topic to talk about uh, from a national media perspective of, of where Rick Barnes kind of ranks in their minds in the national landscape in recruiting. So Gene, get right into it here. Uh, since we last spoke, in fact, you and I, had, last time we spoke, we talked about Tennessee getting commitment because uh, I think a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, I did a Lady of All podcast. Didn't do one last week with Tennessee football starting up and you, know, you covering Chattanooga, Gene, didn't want to worry about trying to do a podcast right as football was starting. So it took last week off, but good, you know, not bad timing because there wasn't a whole lot going on until Friday of last week, Tennessee landed another big time prospect in the 2023 class when power forward slash center uh, big man. J.P. Estrella committed to Tennessee, uh, one of the top big men in the country. He keeps kind of climbing up the rankings. Looking at on three right now, um, he is a top 50 prospect in their consensus. And in fact, he's a top 20 prospect in their overall rankings on just on three. They have him as number 16 overall, number four power forward. He's kind of a, I think, more or less a consensus top 50. I know uh, 7 has him just inside the top 50 in their rankings as well. It's about a 6'10", 6'11". 210, 215 type of uh, post player. And Gene, from watching his film and kind of what he brings to the table, um, and just looking at kind of, you know, my amateur eye of, of watching his you know, highlights and stuff, he already looks to me to be one of the more talented, just purely offensively talented big men, true big men too, that, that Rick Barnes has gotten at Tennessee. Maybe Tennessee's gotten in a very long time because Obviously, you know, Grant Williams was a post at Tennessee. He was a very talented offensive player, but he's not a true post. Look what he's playing in the NBA. He's a 6'6", maybe borderline 6'7", you know, wing in the NBA. And he was an undersized four for Tennessee for his entire career at Tennessee and did obviously an excellent job at that role. This is a guy who is a true, you know, he can play the five. Uh, he's listed, again, as a power forward or a center. So, you know, four or five. I think some people have mentioned him as a stretch four. I think in one of the circuits, if I remember seeing his stats correctly, he shot like 35, 36% from three, which as a you know, 6'10", 6'11 guy, that's pretty darn good. Um, but Gene, to me, this this guy who you know, comes from Maine, uh, now plays for the Brewster Academy, but he's from South Portland, Maine. I think this is a phenomenal pickup for Tennessee. This is a guy you and I have talked about in this podcast before. I know back when he was still kind of ranked, I think maybe in the 100s or you know maybe just inside the 100s, I think you'd mentioned that you know he's a... He's one of the guys you mentioned that said you didn't care where you know he was ranked. He's a really good player. Syracuse wanted him. Iowa wanted him. Those are the two teams that um, were right up there with Tennessee to try to get J.P. Estrella. I think it really came down to Tennessee and Iowa. Uh, but Gene, Tennessee gets J.P. Estrella, and I 
we'll talk a little bit more kind of in general about the class in a second, but this is really rounding out to look like to be a potentially, you know, again, another excellent class for Tennessee in recruiting. But I think JP Estrella to me is a guy who checks off a lot of boxes that you and I have talked about from a big man perspective for what Tennessee needs in the future um, or, you know, needs in the roster just in general, but especially for the future for, you know, what Tennessee's trying to do moving forward, I think. And, I think Estrella, you know, with some development and, you know, adding some more weight onto his frame, he's got a lot of potential. And he's already, you know, not just kind of – I don't think his ranking is just based off his athleticism and his size. I think he, you know, does bring a lot to the table already as he is. So while you talk, I'm actually going to look up some of the stats if I can find them because I, w- I want to see what he was averaging rebounding-wise because I feel like he wasn't a bad rebounder, but I know for a fact that he brings a, a pretty good outside shot to his game. Right. Well, um, you know, I, I took a couple minutes uh, while you were talking to kind of just get a feel for uh, trying to, rem- you know, remember who the kid was. Obviously, it's been a while, but, um, uh, you know, like I, l- looking at highlights, obviously, you're talking about a kid who can, you know, who can block shots. Uh, you know, obviously, he can shoot three really well. Uh, you know, one dribble gets to the basket pretty well. Um I, I don't, you know, I, I usually like to try to throw together like a quick player comp. I don't really think that one comes to mind off the top of my head. Um, I will say, you know, when I watched um, Adu's highlights, uh, it, they're not similar. Um, you know, I think Adu's, uh, you know, probably a better athlete. Uh, but and one of the things that Adu had to do was kind of learn some of the interior stuff because I don't I never saw that in his highlights. Whereas Estrella, you see some of that stuff, like you see some of the interior stuff, and you know I, I, it feels like Tennessee is building the biggest basketball team in the country for the twenty three twenty four season. You know because you know they likely have Adu. Um, then, you know, now you've got Estrella. You've also got the kid from Alabama, that the 6'9 kid that they're bringing in. Uh, that's probably, I would assume, that's probably it for the big. Uh, maybe, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, we'll see what they're doing. We'll see what they're looking at. We'll see what they're going after. But, but yeah, I mean, I think you're talking about a kid who um, ha- has the potential to be a really good college basketball player. Um I just think that, you know, as you as you look at the players that Tennessee's bringing in, that's one thing, one common thread. I mean, between Estrella, uh, Kate Phillips, like I'm just seeing good quality basketball players. Obviously, uh, with Dillion, uh kind of the same. And I, and I did compare him to DeMar DeRozan uh, when I watched him play, just kind of how effortlessly he got to his spot. I uh, like to do a lot of stuff in the mid range, but you know, I think this, I think I noticed the class is ranked seventh in the country. They're probably not done. I don't know who they lose, but um, I hadn't really thought too much about who they lose. But like, there's going to be spots available, and obviously, in this day and age, you know, when the season's over, if there's a kid on the roster that um, that coach, you know, that the coaching staff doesn't like, they'll just process them. You know, if, if they see somebody that they would much rather have that they think they can get recruiting, they'll just process them. And that's just kind of the way of the world nowadays, uh, the ugly side of college basketball. But that also leads to opportunities 
for other kids, for other spots to build, you know, to build out your roster, to create your roster. And one thing that we've seen over the past three, four years, uh, three years really is Tennessee does a lot of its recruiting from April until August um, for that season, not, not for the following <laughs> season, uh, the upcoming season. So, um, it, but this is, you know, to be able to bring in three players of this caliber uh, this early and to potentially have three signees in, in November, I don't know anything about when these kids are going to sign, but to potentially have three guys locked in for your 2023 recruiting class, um, I, I think it's huge, especially when they're quality basketball players. Yeah, and I agree. Like you mentioned, kind of building a you know the super tall team and super tall class. Estrella is a it's such an interesting prospect too that um, he's not a post player who's you know been a post for all his basketball career where he's just always been tall. He's a guy who, as a freshman, was six foot three and he's grown eight inches since his freshman year of high school. Gene, like that's a massive growth spurt once you get into high school. He was a you know kind of a wing six three guard type of kid as a freshman, and then now he is you know a five um for you know i guess well he played for south portland but now he's going to be a brewster academy um but this past year when he was 610 you know about to be 611 as a as a junior he averaged 20.2 points 11.8 boards and 4.1 blocks en route to uh taking his high school to their first state championship uh, winning the first state championship in 30 years for south portland uh so again that's <laughs> it's interesting he, he I think Tennessee, I want to say they had another kid, uh, well, I mean, Drew Pember, actually, if I remember right, who was a, a was a guard coming into high school and then hit a huge growth spurt. So I think I, I might be thinking of Drew Pember, but it's just, Estrella, I, I think is, you know, to me, just watch, just what I've seen as highlights and stuff. Again, they're highlights, but to me, it is a more polished prospect than what Pember was at, at this point in his, his high school career. But looking at a breakdown here on, on three from Jamie Shaw, who we talked about <laughs> A couple weeks ago, three weeks ago, when Freddie DeLeon committed, he had a good breakdown of, of DeLeon as well. But he talked a little bit here about kind of, you know, what Tennessee is getting with J.P. Estrella. He talks about he's a good vertical athlete, runs well in straight lines, has excellent hands, and has some sneaky bounce around the basket, which will also help him on the defensive end as well. Uh, during the UAA Next Championships, he shot 35.7% from three. That's the number I was, was in my head there. Uh, I think shot 17 threes and shot again about 36% from three there. Uh, they also, he mentions that Estrella is comfortable over his left shoulder on the block. When he posts up on the left block, uh, the synergy uh, told Jamie Shaw that he scored 1.33 points per possession, which is pretty good. Uh, he scored 53.3% of the possessions when posted up in that left block area as well. And on defense, of course, I mean, the four blocks per game, we should tell you, he's a very good um, rim protector on defense as well. And obviously average a double-double. So imagine he's pretty good rebounding as well. But again, you know, part of that has to do with the fact that he's a, he was a 6'10 player playing in Maine. I don't really know, you know, what the competition was like. I'd be really interested to see what he does at Brewster Academy this upcoming season. Um, but again, he's a guy who is still trying to, he's getting used to being 6'11 because he was 6'3, what, two years ago at this point? Uh, 18 months ago, or maybe even yeah, maybe less, maybe even less than two years ago. Um, that's what's most intriguing to me, Gene, is that he already he's a a pretty intriguing prospect from the fact that he already has a lot of these offensive skills. Already seems pretty comfortable on the low block, and obviously being a rim protector, and he's grown immensely. He may, he may may not be done growing. I mean, at this point, he probably is, but I mean, 
there's an there's an outside chance he sneaks up to being seven foot by the time he gets to campus for Tennessee. I mean, and with the skills he has, I mean, you and I were talking uh, before we were recording here about UTC having a seven footer who, you know, hits about fifty percent from three. I don't think Australia will ever be that good from three, but if Tennessee gets a seven footer who can shoot the three ball, I mean, that right there is a you know the new age offense of college basketball. Yeah, I think the biggest thing about the kid from Chattanooga, the same as Jake Stevens. Uh, is really just the fact that he's been in college long enough to really develop that aspect of his game. Um, and, I mean, again, he shot 153s and made half of them last year, which is crazy for a kid who's seven feet tall. But, um, and, and, you know, obviously I think you all – I mean, everybody inspires I me. Mean, look at the national championship game. Um, the kid from Oklahoma, um, Brody, Brady, whatever his name is, the big kid, Manic. Uh, yeah, Manic. Yeah, um, that, that's a big kid. Big kid who, again, defended, shot threes, and finished around the basket. And it's really, if you know, in this guard-driven world that we live in, like if the, if you have big men who just simply do those three things, yeah, the ball handling is nice. You don't you want them to be at least uh, competent in, in that in that regard. But you know, at this level. Uh, when you're especially when you're talking about the SEC, if he can just finish, you know, shoot that little right-handed uh, hook shot, um, make a, a decent percentage from three, um, and just be like a good defender and rebounder, the rest kind of takes care of itself there. Um, but again, I, I, at the end of the day, I'm looking at a kid who I think in a year or two um, will be helping this program. And I think that's what you want. That's what you want to have. It's just consistency there. It's like, you know, it's this changing landscape of college athletics. And maybe it doesn't change as much anymore, but it probably still will. Um, if you can kind of maintain some similarity in your roster from year to year, that helps. And, you know, at least two of the kids, uh, you, you feel good about some of the players that Tennessee's bringing in that they may be around for a while. Um, you know, because they'll probably get playing time, A. Um, and B, when you go to Tennessee, unless you're not getting playing time, uh, you have no reason to leave. You know, like if people who are successful at a school like Tennessee aren't chasing something bigger, like that's more reserved for the UTCs of the world and the Indiana State, that's obviously Tyree Key. Um, you know, it's more reserved for that, so you have opportunities to play for a team that's going to be on television a lot. It's going to play in New York, uh, in other countries, you know, I'm assuming it's got like about, uh, there's going to be one of those like overseas August trips coming up, European tours coming up in the next couple of years. I think you could take them every once every five years. Um, so you're going to have opportunities to play on big stages because Barnes has built a program that at least has the respect of getting top 15 sort of recognition in the, in the grand scheme of things. So um, like if you have the sorts of players that can now get that profile, that only helps them because again, like eventually they're going to, you know, you could have pros out of it, you know, they could, you know, develop, themselves in a pros. And you're talking about a kid in Estrella who at one point was six, you know, what, six two, six three, 
That's what you're saying. And now he's seven foot, so he's not done developing as a player either. You know, the, probably the most famous kid, that person that did that was uh, Anthony Davis. Yep. Uh, not saying that Estrella is going to be Anthony Davis, but <laughs> kids who grow eight inches from freshman year um, through senior year, uh, it's probably a little more common than we think. It's just the problem is maybe the kid is like five nine when he gets to high school. Then all of a sudden you're six five. It's not. It doesn't sound as good as a kid who already gets to high school at six two and grows to 6'10", or 6'3", and grows to 6'11", or whatever. So, um, so yeah, like, again, I, when I watch the highlights, I just look at a kid who I think he will be able to contribute. Uh, it may take a year or so, but I think he can contribute and uh, seems like he's a good player. So I think that's obviously a great win for the program. Yeah, right now Tennessee has three guys in this class. You have Estrella, you have DeLeon, you also have Cade Phillips, uh, we have talked about a couple of the guys, Salas Demery Jr. and Davin Cosby are kind of two other guys to watch for for Tennessee on their green right now. There's also a, a, another big man who just visited Tennessee and also is now, I think, has just visited or is about to visit Florida. I cannot remember his name now, but he is a uh, foreign player who's uh, he, he's drawn in the international competition stuff at a, at a camp. He just did. He's been he's drawn comparisons to a young Oscar Shiway in terms of his rebounding ability because his rebounding is phenomenal just the way he had, he's a six I think six ten six eleven player who I think 245 250 so you know big body uh, and also really just strong it's, it's like it's like lean muscle I've seen pictures of him when he visited Tennessee uh Chin Chin Liu, I think Chin Liu, I can't I remember how you say his last name but he is um he's he's all of a sudden blown up big time uh he came visit on Tennessee now he's visiting Florida and I think other maybe even um some blue bloods are going to try to get involved with him, but uh, he's a guy who's going to really, I think have an interesting, you know, road ahead for him in the recruiting trail. That's a guy that Tennessee had on a visit as well. So some names to kind of, you know, keep in mind for Tennessee moving forward here in this 23 class. And I think you mentioned, Gene, I think a lot of, you know, the guys that Tennessee has committed so far are guys that um, I think have really high ceilings, but I don't know that I expect them to come in and be immediate, you know, Kennedy Chandler type impact or Keon Johnson, Jaden Springer type impact guys, or even Josiah, you know, for what he came in and did as a freshman, even being hurt was still very impressive. The guy who, you know, filled out the stat sheet averaged about what, eight points, five boards and two and a half, three assists as a, as a true freshman in the sec in a year that obviously ended up being, you know, cut short due to COVID. But again, those years where he got hurt, kind of got hurt in the middle of the season too, and still put up pretty good numbers. I, I don't know that any of these guys, since he has committed, I expect to put those numbers up when they first get here. But I also think you're going to have a, a, I think going into the next year, you'll have a, you know, some guys returning that I, you know, think Tennessee will be able to count on. But I think Tennessee is going to have the, I wouldn't say hit the transfer portal hard, but I think they're, you know, next year I think we'll see Tennessee bring in for the first time under Rick Barnes more than one transfer in an offseason. I think maybe, maybe I'll be wrong, but uh, so far under Rick Barnes, he's only brought in one actual true transfer from a, you know, either a grad transfer for, or in the transfer portal, only one per offseason. Um, even before the transfer portal was a big thing, um, he still was doing that. You look at guys like Ian Childs and, um, oh goodness, I'm, I'm forgetting some, some of the the ones that were in his first few years at Tennessee. But he, you know, once the transfer portal became a thing, Tennessee still only grabbed one. You had Victor Bailey Jr., you had Justin Powell. Uh, this year you had Tyreek Key. So you, you've not seen Tennessee get, you know, they, they obviously were involved with other guys. We've not seen them attack it the way that other schools have. But I think this upcoming offseason, they're going to have to because – I think you're going to have too many holes that you don't want to insert freshmen into 
or even insert maybe some sophomores into for next season. So, but that's, that's next season. We're not even here or that's next, next season. We're not even in for the next season yet. So I don't want to get too carried away with that. Um, too much gene, but I, I do want to keep this recruiting train going because you kind of mentioned Rick Barnes and kind of the cachet he's built up and, you know, the respect for the program and, and stuff that's happened with um, him at Tennessee here in the last uh, eight years. Yeah. And of course, you know, his time at Texas and stuff too. But I want to talk about this list that the field of 68 brought up, which we've talked about in the podcast before, because there was, I don't remember who it was, Gene. One of the guys said something that uh, caught attention of, of Vol Twitter. But for those of you who may not know who the field of 68 is, they're a, they're kind of a podcast. They're kind of a media company, but they're mostly a podcast. Uh, it's a college basketball podcasting network that has a lot of, you know, former players, uh, big names, uh, the former player stuff, and, and just different people all involved in college basketball who do podcasts that cover, you know, respective teams or respective conferences or just college basketball at large. Um, you know, they, they, I think they do a pretty good job. There's, there's other people would disagree, but I think overall they do a pretty good job. I think it was Rob, was it Rob Doster that I'm thinking of Gene that they got Vol fans riled up. Or am, I, am I getting the name wrong? Oh, no, that was my guy. That was my guy, Terrence. That's what it was. Yeah, Terrence. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it was. Uh, anyway, though, Philip 68, they, they do a lot of, uh, to me, some pretty interesting basketball coverage and um, pretty cool seeing a big just podcasting network all about college basketball. But they were they had uh, last week, you know, heading into Labor Day weekend and the start of football season, uh, trying to get some, I guess, some basketball stuff here in the offseason for them. They did a list of the top 20 recruiters in college basketball and they didn't really say what their criteria was i mean they have a big almanac thing that's coming out so they they may elaborate more in that um in terms of you know what their criteria is in determining what the you know top 20 or what makes you know what they're looking at when they're making this list for the top 20 recruiters uh but gene i'm, I'm interested mostly in where rick barnes comes in at i'll run through the top 20 here you have number 20 you have chris holt middle ohio state 19 is Mick Cronin at UCLA. 18 is Tommy Lloyd for Arizona. 17 is Andy Infield for USC. Hubert Davis of UNC for North Carolina comes in at number 16. Number 15, you have Chris Beard at Texas. 14 is Brad Underwood at Illinois. And then at 13 is you is uh, Rick Barnes for Tennessee. So Rick Barnes comes in at number 13 on the list. So inside the top 15, but not quite in the top 10. Barnes at 13. And then here's, here's some interesting ones too. Right after Rick Barnes, Bruce Pearl for Auburn, number 12, Nate Oates for Alabama at number 11, and then you get into the top 10, and you have uh, John Shire for Duke at number 10, number 9 at Oregon, you have Dan Altman, Eric Musselman for Arkansas at 8, Juwan Howard at Michigan for 7, Scott Drew for Baylor at 6. Here's one that casual fans may not will probably scoff at, but you know, I've already talked about him on the podcast uh, before in the past, Gene. Rick Stansbury at Western Kentucky at five. Bill Self, Kansas at, at, you know, at four. Leonard Hamilton at three for Florida State. And your top two, number one's on a surprise. It's John Calipari. But number two is Penny Hardaway of Memphis, which I know that's probably going to get a lot of all fans. Uh, maybe a little ride up having Penny at number two. But Gene, and that whole thing, you have Rick Barnes at 13, and he is, I want to say... I, off the top of my head, yeah, he was fourth, no, fifth? Yeah, fifth in the SEC because you have Kyle Park, number one. Uh, then you have Musselman at eight. So that's two guys ahead of him. And then you have two other guys right ahead of him at Nate Oates and Bruce Pearl. So Barnes is number 13 in the country, number five in the SEC in terms of uh, top recruiters, according to Field of 68. 
before we get to to more of the list, do you think that's you know do you think that's a fair ranking of Rick Barnes at number thirteen and being fifth in the SEC? Because I hmm, I've kind of gone back and forth in my head about where I think Rick Barnes should be, and I I think you can make an argument for him being in the top ten, but then you're going to have to move around some of the other guys in the top ten. And I I don't know. It's it's tough for me. I, I think it's. I'm fine with him being top 15. I think that's, you know, that's nowhere anywhere where I would think Tennessee men's basketball head coach would be in recruiting it my whole lifetime. Even Bruce Pearl, as good as he was a coach, I wouldn't have put him in as a top 15, top, maybe even top 20 recruiter at Tennessee in his time at Tennessee. Uh, yes, he did land some pretty impressive guys like Tobias Harris and um, Scotty Hobson and the like, but I don't know that it would have put him number 13 where Rick Barnes is. So I, I think 13 is fair. But I think it's understandable for Vol fans to say, you know, hey, why isn't he higher? Then it's also just the the weird little, I don't know what to say slap in the face, just the, the weird thing of having him and Bruce be right there next to each other is just kind of funny to me. And if it makes sense, they've, they've gone head-to-head for a lot of recruits um, over the last few years. Then having Nate Oates and Eric Bussman ahead of him kind of makes sense. Those are, you know, especially Nate Oates, that's not a basketball power. And he's been able to land a lot of um, high-profile prospects and transfers to Alabama. So... Gene, do you think it's fair to have Rick Barnes at 13? Because I, I think it's, again, it speaks to where he and his staff have been able to kind of, you know, bring Tennessee's brand. Having them in the top 15 is impressive. But I also almost think you could make an argument to have them higher. Yeah, I think it's fair. Uh, I, and I say it because, like, I, I, I'm trying to think of, you know, like the names that, Tennessee has has brought in. Um, I guess your, I guess the highlight of recruiting was uh, the Jaden Springer, Keon Johnson, Kennedy Chandler uh, grouping. I know that I know it's not the same year, but it's two that's two separate years. But I, I would probably argue that that that's the highlight of it. Um, you know, Huntley Hatfield didn't necessarily work out or otherwise that may have been a feather in the cap. Um, we'll see what this 2023 recruiting class is. Josiah Jordan James has been a nice player, but, you know, for the ranking, you know, for people who really lean onto the ranking a, a lot, you know, heavily, um, it hasn't, been necessary. I mean, expectations versus reality there. Um, so yeah, you're probably talking about what four, like really like three or four guys, and that is. And again, I could. I'm obviously forgetting. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. The kid they just brought in, who's a, re- a freshman this year. Um, uh. Who's the kid they just brought in? Phillips. Yeah, Justin or Julian Phillips. Sorry. Yeah, and so, like maybe maybe that, but um, that was more or less just kind of stepping in where Will Wade, <laughs> you know, kind of got himself in trouble. Um, so I mean, like obviously, Barnes has had success. And I don't think that's the issue. Uh, I, I don't think it's disputable, but. You know, look at the guys that he's going. Look at the guys he's behind. You know, I think this list is the equivalent of, um, like all conference teams, all like 
you know, professional teams like mm-hmm. all NBA, all pro, all star, pro bowl. Everybody refers to something as a snub. And they, and quickly the re- the reply is, well, who are you going to take out? Um, yeah. I don't think he, I don't think Barnes has been as, uh, I think Nate Oates is, has been probably slightly better, which hints the ranking. Um, I'd say, you know, Pearl's got what, at least two guys in the, uh, three guys in the pros in the past, like three, four years, I'd say. Um, like, you know, we'll see what happens with Kessler. And that technically, I mean, I guess to my point earlier, um, about Julian Phillips, I mean, that was, that was more Roy Williams, um, when there, but he just, you know, Walker Kessler's play at Auburn. Uh, also, Walker Kessler, J.P. Estrella. There we go. Boom. Um, <laughs> the uh, Walker Kessler's play at Auburn is, is kind of what got him drafted. Uh, then you've got Isaac Okoro, mm-hmm. who's in a great situation right now. I think it's the starting small forward um, of a team in Cleveland that's going to be really good and really exciting. Um, there's probably somebody else I've forgotten, but you know, they had the kid who tore his ACL in 2019. I think got drafted by the Magic. Yeah. I don't think it's worked out. But, um, like, if those are the guys that you're kind of behind, I, I think any of those three are probably interchangeable, but I don't think I have any issue with it. I understand people have an issue with Penny. But, you know, since Penny's been there, regardless of how you frame how he got these guys, he got JP, you know, he had the number one recruiting class in the country. I mean, we can't point, you know, you know, he didn't, he may not have done the job necessary with that class. I still think if Wiseman's available all year, that's a vastly different season, but he got that class in there. That was number one in the country. Um, and he then got uh, two, we got a lottery pick. Uh, now the Imani base scene didn't work out, but you know, it, we're talking about situations where who, who wouldn't take those guys? Yeah, like I understand it didn't work out, but who doesn't take the kid who two years ago was being compared to Kevin Durant? Who doesn't take that guy? Now you get them, and things may or may not work out, but you have to if you've got the chance to get that guy, you get that guy. Uh, Calipari, we know, you know, enough said there. So, um, so yeah, like I, I don't think I have any real pushback. I think I, I'm I'm content with uh, I'm content with where Barnes is. I mean, it's it's something that it's something that's made to get all of us talking. Yeah, it has it has zero value. Like, it's just, you know, it's guys who, I, again, I think do good work. I know a few of them, um, a few of those guys. Um, it, it's just guys who are doing what we're all doing, what all basketball people are doing this time of year. Hey, it's slow. Well, it's right. I mean, obviously, they put this out right before college football, like, really got started. But, mm-hmm. you know, for people who are locked in on basketball right now, it's like, well, you know, we've got like two, two and a half months. What can we do? List. Let's put together a list. And that'll get people talking. 
And here we are on a Tuesday night in September talking basketball, talking lists, talking is Rick Barnes too high, too low, just about right. Um, or what, what was that? Was it Greenberg that overrated, underrated, properly rated, whatever it was? Uh, you know, we're doing that. So it was really a win for the field of 68. But I, I see no issue ultimately with – with what we see in terms of the uh, of the rankings, because yeah, maybe he could be maybe he could be up higher, one or two more. But you know, you look at all the five star guards that NATO's has brought in, and you look at some of the success that uh, that Bruce Pearl has had. I guess those are the people that you have the most. Pu- I mean, that people have the most pushback against um, expectations versus reality when you play Rick Stans- Stansberry. Because I mean, that guy's getting he's brought multiple prospects to Bowling Green, Kentucky, to play <laughs> in Conference USA or wherever they are now. Um, I believe it's Conference USA. Yeah. Yeah, they tried to get in they tried to get in the Mac and uh the Mac won an MTSU and didn't want Western Kentucky. Those two have to go together. So no, I mean so um so yeah, like I I mean I think at the end of the day, as we wrap this up, yeah, I have no issue with it because it, it's on a list that means anything. Yeah. Rick Barnes is not going to not get in some sort of Hall of Fame because right. the field of 68 was like, oh, man, I think he's 13th. And if he had made, and if he was 10th, he would have got in. Then you have an issue. But that's the stand. I, I think it's interesting. I've, I saw several comments in that, on the Twitter thread with, with the whole top 20 list of, you know, people throwing out names of, oh, where's this guy? Where's this guy? But I think two guys that made, made a lot of sense of not being in the top 20 that I, I thought, yeah, those are good points by the fans here. Mark Few and Tom Izzo. Like, it didn't, it didn't register in my brain when I was going through the list, but kind of surprised that those two guys got in the top 20. Uh, I know this obviously isn't Tennessee talk, but I think fans or people listening to this probably, you know, obviously you're listening to a college basketball podcast. You probably care about just college basketball maybe not just Tennessee but I think not having Mark Few or Tom Izzo is kind of interesting I mean that's those are two guys who've been around for a long time especially Few being doing what he's done at Gonzaga like that's I mean I guess you know having Chris Holtman of Ohio State Mick Cronin at UCLA's I don't know I, I think you could probably put Few and Izzo in before those guys at least I, I don't know that that those are two guys I think you know you talk about snubs and stuff like you mentioned kind of you know all conference teams and all Americans whatnot but I mean, Izzo and Few have been doing it for a long time, especially Izzo. But, I mean, Few, to me, I think should be in the top 20. Again, I don't know what um, 68's like criteria was for picking these guys. But I do want to say that, you know, I, I agree with you. I think Barnes is pretty properly rated on that list. But kind of surprised neither one of those two coaches are on that top 20. Um, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I just don't have uh, as much of a finger on the pulse of college basketball as I thought, Gene. But I feel like Few and Izzo are two top 20 recruiters in college basketball and again again maybe this is looking at just the last like 10 years 15 years of recruiting or something like that and, and maybe those i don't know I, I again i don't know what the whole thing is again photo 66 or 68 has a thing called the almanac where they're doing a, a big whole like 2022 23 college basketball preview thing so maybe they get into it a little bit more about um what their reasoning is behind this list but i think those are two good coaches that fans are brought up in terms of, you know, why are these guys snubbed uh, Mark Few and Tom Izzo? I, I hadn't even thought about those names. Um, 
I don't know, like the thing with Izzo, those are both guys who, for the most part, have just, they don't always go, where was where was Bill Self on this list? Uh, he was in the, I think he's number four. He was number four overall. Okay, okay. Because I, I kind of look at Bill Self a little bit like I look at, uh, um, no, and that, that's not fair because, you know, Self has, stuff going on yeah <laughs> <Always>. <laughs> um uh, i was about to say i almost look at self and Izzo in the same light but Izzo is uh it's done it the right way uh, i guess quote unquote um over the years and um few is brought in uh you know jalen suggs and uh and home and he's got he's getting guys now um but I mean, I can't think of uh, I can't think of a ton of those guys that have been there. And again, I don't really keep up with Gonzaga recruiting like that to think of all the guys they, you know, all the guys they brought in over the years. But um, I, I think I always always maybe associate Gonzaga more so with. Uh, uh, I understand that obviously they're recruiting at a higher level now, but I, I've always felt like they were the program that just will take the guys and get the guys and, you know, try to develop them. You know, I think they've had what two one and done. Yeah. I think that, that was the point I was about to make is I feel like I know me personally and mentally like conflating recruiting with development. I mean, that's, you know, I think you make a good point. I don't know that Gonzaga Mark few necessarily belongs on the list. Cause I don't think they've recruited, you know, recruited in terms of you know bringing in high-profile players, but they've developed guys, and I think that's again that's why I'd like to know the criteria of this list because to me that would make you know, you know Rick Barnes has been known for being you know we've talked about ad nauseum at this podcast about being development you at Tennessee, but I think you're right like few in his coaches throughout the years have been elite developers. They've just now recently in the last few years really started to you know turn that into recruiting gold as well. So. Yeah, that was the point I was about to make, so I'm glad you brought that up. Right, and and I always feel like Izzo's kind of that as well. Like, Izzo gets, like, the quote-unquote, you know, five-star guys, and that may be what I'm doing with the whole Izzo self thing. Self isn't exactly known for, you know, recruiting one and done. Like, I, I feel like that's something that's been kind of, for trade, I mean, because of the issues with his recruiting. So um, he, I, I don't, I can't think of a ton of like just Kansas one and done guys. Just can't. I, I mean, there may, there may be a ton exists, but I just cannot recall who they all are. Uh, guys like, you know, Mario Charles, the kid that just got drafted and uh, didn't, I think he got traded. Um, I think he was in one of those massive deals that happened. Uh, NBA offseason. Um, who, uh, you know, guys like that, National Player of the Year. Uh, you know, that, like that, those are the guys that I think about um, and who are obviously kind of players. Uh, I, I can't ever pronounce that kid's name. Ochi. Oh, gosh. I knew you were talking about. Yeah. yeah. I just uh, call him Ochi. <laughs> yeah. He's the one. He just got. Yeah, OG. Uh, yeah, he was in the Donovan Mitchell trade, so he's in Utah now. Um, but that's a kid who spent multiple years in college. 
like all the guys I think about when I think of Kansas seem to hang around for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe that's what I'm doing with, uh, with his face. I uh, was Michigan, I mean, with Michigan state. Yeah. Uh, Izzo. I could, yeah. I mean, I know Jaron Jackson is obviously having success in the NBA. Um, but a lot of the guys, you know, Draymond Green was a four-year guy. Uh, a lot of the guys that go to a school like that, and I think that's what the Michigan State Gonzaga thing is. It's just that you just don't necessarily think of them as like one of them factors. Uh, and I guess the difference between that and Kansas is just the fact that, in the day, I mean, you look at the, the issues that have you know popped up with Kansas. And you're like, okay, well, he's at, he's going out and by any means necessary in these guys. And I, I I don't know what the the write up on Bill Self was, but uh, I just imagine it's something you know. Go to any and all links. I mean, when you're when you're put when you're in an investigation like that, uh, that I feel like will never be never be fully resolved. Uh, I, I feel like, yeah. I mean, you're obviously good enough at what you do to where there's no paper trail. <laughs> and that's part of recruiting. See John Calipari, uh, who is number one and has never actually been linked to anything. Um, actually, the weirdest one on that list for me was uh, John Shire. Someone yeah, you number just 10. Got here. Yeah, you just got here. Now, like, the, I would actually, like, you. <laughs> Shire at 10, that's the one, if I'm Tennessee fans, I'm frustrated about. Because, like, okay, this guy hasn't even coached a game as Duke had coached. I understand he was the lead recruiter on some guys they got. And Duke is kind of a one-and-done factory now as well, just like much like Kentucky. You could, God, more so than Kentucky at this point. Um, I understand all that stuff. But, I mean, if this is a head coaching deal, we're not talking about assistant coaches who have had success on the recruiting trail. Shire has not had any success as a head coach on the recruiting trail. Not in terms of seeing the results pan out on the court. And if Duke goes 20 and 11 this year, he ain't going to be getting those guys. Because now there's questions as to how good of a coach you actually are. So that would bug me. Like personally, I would move those three SEC coaches up one and put maybe if you if if you're so inclined to put Shire on the list, put them like thirteen or fourteen or something like that. Um, I mean, again, it is just a whatever list anyway. But I, I just don't know how much I agree with a list that has a coach who has not actually coached a single college basketball game and putting him on the list, like just sliding him in there in the top ten. I put him twenty five, whatever. He does well. Who cares? Who cares? <laughs> put Rick Barnes one. Let everybody argue about it. Like put John Calipari fifteen. Um, you know, uh, it, it. I'm glad we don't do the SEC thing oh, anymore gosh. because um, oh. I saw. I can't remember who it was. They said they said it maybe about two three weeks ago. I think it was Matt Norlander. And I thought about it, and I'm like, he kind of has a point, but man, when he said, um, he said, he just simply said, when you think about it, it's amazing what John Calipari has done as a head coach at Kentucky. 
And it is kind of crazy that as much as we laugh at the underachieving nature of some of his teams, I'm not sure there's been a more successful coach over the past 15 years in terms of postseason success. Hmm. He got he, the one national championship. Yeah, but how many? How many did Roy Williams win at UNC? Did he just win one? Hmm. This is a good question, Gene. This is a question I'd like to research some more before I <laughs> chime in too much. Yes. Yeah. Because um, I, I think I mean you make it. You make a. That, that's not a bad point. I, I'm just I'm curious about guys like Roy Williams or, I mean Bill Self has that was his first one he'd won in a long time. Um, I don't. Coach K didn't win that many either for the last fifteen years. Like, if that's your cutoff, yeah. More, uh, I'd say Roy would be up there in a sense because I'm sitting here looking. Yeah, he won in um, 2005, 2009, and 2017. Uh, Roy Williams did. Uh, K had a bunch of early exits. Mm-hmm. Bunch of early exits, and until just a couple of years ago, um, what you call it, you know. Like Kentucky didn't. Um, like that is, and it's just such a weird thing. I'm not sure that Norlander actually exp- you know expanded upon it. Um, that was one of those that I think that you just shoot the tweet off and then just run away giggling for a while because the replies to your tweet, especially as a national college basketball analyst, will be very spicy. And yeah, like I mean, I think you've got, you know, like a Roy Williams, maybe a Bill Self, and then like Calipari there. Uh, and again, it's just it's funny, but um, and, and way off, way off the, uh, you know, the focus of this podcast, uh, and probably the last thing that the listeners want to hear um, <laughs> on a Tennessee. Uh, that's very interesting. It's very interesting, but um, but yeah, like hey, you know what? Uh, Tennessee, go have success. You know, put yourself up there. You know, get your own recognition. Go get your own shine this year. Uh, I think somebody, I think I saw somebody has them as a two seed, maybe Lenardi. Um, uh, you know, live up to that. Go crush it in March. Win three games. Uh, have a chance to play for a Final Four. I mean, and then we'll see what, you know, <laughs> and then with that recruiting class that Tennessee has coming in in 2023, let the field of 68 redo that. Uh, those rankings, let's see where Rick Barnes is. Yeah. Hey, if Julian Phillips goes out this year and balls out and is a lottery pick, I mean, Barnes will move up that list because that'll be Tennessee's first, well, I mean, be their first lottery pick, but it would be their first like top 10 pick or top 15 pick in a very long time. But the lottery wasn't around back when, you know, Ernie and Bernie were playing, for example, um, or Alan Houston either. But, um, well, the bias is what was he was, I think, wasn't he right outside lottery? I think he was like 18 or 19, I want to say. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I know right outside lottery, but he was, he was top 20 though. Yeah. Uh, I know what's his face, uh, uh, Marcus Hayslip was, I think, right outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's been, uh, okay, Tennessee yeah, hasn't had a lottery was, pick, I don't think. Yeah. Tobias was 19. Yeah, um, that's what I was thinking. 
Yeah. And, and look, like I said, the, the standard, we've talked about this before, the standard uh, at that, uh, the standard at that size in that position to be a lottery pick is not all that high. Yep. Right. Like he doesn't have to be like the difference is he goes out there and averages like 17.7 rebounds, three assists a game. Guess what, kids? He's going top four. Yeah. He go he averages eleven points, uh, five rebounds, two and a half assists. He may go twelve. Again, I always make the joke. Uh my former team before I swore off any teams was the Chicago Bulls, and they took Florida State sixth man with the number four pick of the draft. Not even a starter. So um like the bar for Phillips to clear at that size, if those skills translate to college, like you kind of hope they do, then yeah, he'll be a lottery pick because you can't teach, um, you can't teach those skills. Mm -hmm. You can't teach that size. You can't teach that athleticism. You know, like that's something you're essentially born with. And if he if he so chooses to leave in seven months or eight months, whenever it is, whenever the season, you know, whenever he's allowed to leave, um, I mean, Tennessee, the unfortunate thing is Tennessee fans will never see the player that the NBA will see. They'll never see it. You may see Clemson. You may see a little hit there, a little hit there, whatever. Um, like, ask Kentucky about it. <laughs> All the guys they've had that have been, like, day one picks, like, who look so exponentially better in the NBA because they're only in college for eight months. But, like I said, Tennessee's got a chance now with Phillips. Like, man, just go crush it. Go crush it, man, for eight months. Leave them. You can, you know. You have a good year, maybe you blow up in March, and guess what everybody's saying? This is the guy. This is the guy that led us to a Final Four. He may not let us because people will get that to Josiah and Vestavy, mm-hmm. but there, there, there will be no mistake as to who the best player is. And if they're going to go to like the Final Four or something, it's not going to be with Julian Phillips struggling. Let's be clear. <laughs> be clear there. Like Julian Phillips is who, you know, it's what the rankings say he is. Oh yeah. Yeah. He'll be a big part of what happens in March. Yeah, and speaking of that, I want to close the podcast here and I kinda of want to talk more about this probably next podcast because I got a feeling there'll probably be a little bit more of kind of preseason polls or whatever out by then. But I saw that uh I wouldn't have seen it if Tennessee themselves, a Twitter account, hadn't tweeted it out. But the Blue Ribbon um, early preseason poll has Tennessee number 10 as a preseason preseason top 10 team. And I was kind of surprised. I am ex- I was expecting Tennessee to be probably top 15. But I, to see them at 10, I was, especially with, I mean, I, I guess it makes sense that you return a lot of players. I think that's, you know, the preseason polls, especially in basketball, lean heavily on returning uh, production. And, you know, 
probably as they should because that's you know you know what you're getting for those guys and especially if they're really high productive players like Tennessee has with you know Vescovy and James and Ziegler all returning but Tennessee 10 Gene that 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 was kind of intriguing to me and I, I think you know they're not going to be ranked as high as that team in 2019 was when you returned Grant Admiral and Bone and Alexander and, and that team and Lamonte Turner and Bowden like it's not going to be as ranked as highly as that because you're not returning you know your five starters and plus two off the bench, basically, but you are returning, you know, basically four starters for you, or at least, you know, four guys that played significantly heavy minutes for you, uh, when healthy last year. And then, you know, bringing in some really talented pieces and guys, again, like, like a Tyree key, who's been playing basketball for so long and seems healthy and seems to be doing really well by all indications and reports, you know, from, you know, practices and stuff right now for Tennessee. Um, but Gene, this is going to be a team that I, I think, I don't think Blue Ribbon's going to be the only team, only you know entity that ranks them top ten. I, maybe we're going to see Tennessee be a preseason, maybe consensus top ten team, or at least top twelve team. Like that, I, I was a little surprised to see that, but the more I thought about it, I was like, these voters and stuff do really value returning production, and Tennessee's going to have a lot of returning production uh, for this year. And you know that's especially now with the transfer portal and stuff. That's not <laughs> not always the case for teams, and, and Tennessee has you know, something that a lot of schools don't, and that is a lot of known commodities coming back for this, this upcoming season. Uh, but, I mean, you've got a kid like he that could, you know, ultimately be a good player. Uh, we'll see what happens with B.J. Edwards. Um, you know, like, you, you've got, you know, you, you already have the returning production, which is always so big in that. Um, not many teams get the benefit of the doubt without returning production. I think they did it a few years ago with Kentucky on a team that, you know, they're like, well, he'll figure it out. And maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I don't know. I don't care. Uh, Duke, I think when they had the top three players in the country with Zion, RJ, and Cam Reddish coming in, I'm guessing they were like top five. Uh, I know they beat Kentucky by like 78 points that in the opening <laughs> night. Um, and but usually teams with the production get the benefit of the doubt unless you just have like a ridiculously talented recruiting class. Uh, I think Memphis, uh, when he had Wiseman, was probably up there somewhere. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, look, you've got James, you've got Vescovy, uh, you've got Ziegler, Eurosh is a piece. Um, you've got the other big kid, Adu. Like you've got guys, back that people saw in March. People saw what they could do in March. And they were impressed by it. And so like if and then like said then on you're like, okay, well they got all these guys back. Oh, and they've got a top fifteen player in the country coming in. That's good enough for me. And and again, like look, there's no sport where the where this stuff matters less than college basketball. Uh, no sport where it, it matters less. I mean, uh, you could probably make an argument for like softballs. No major sport where it matters less preseason rankings. But it, the, I think the respect is the bigger thing here, mm-hmm. and the fact that Tennessee has gained that respect to where you know people are like, look, they're ten. It's kind of like Rick Barnes with what you call it with the recruiting rankings. Yep. Yeah. If if somebody put Tennessee fourteen in the preseason like are we really going to be upset about that no because you got a season you can build a resume 
that resume will lead to wherever you end up in March. And that'll be the road that you got to take to win the four. I mean, win the six games you need to win to win a national championship. And at some point, that needs to be the standard. You know, like if you're if you've got a top 15 recruiter in the country, uh, if you're perennially a top 10, top 15 team in the preseason, you've got that respect. You know, you, you have one of the greatest uh, home fan bases in, in, in America. Like at some point, like it, I understand no Final Fours. Who cares? This is the year. Who cares? And that's, that just kind of has to be the standard as long as uh, Rick Barnes is there. And you've got the respect. It's just now people are just going to ca- be cautiously optimistic. Like, look, you got to do it. But if they can do it, those are the great things ahead. Yeah, and just a final note on, on the top 10 ranking. And again, I, I imagine we'll talk more about it next episode or even in future ones because more stuff will be coming out. But if Tennessee does, you know, by the time the AP poll comes out, is a, a top 10 team that'll only be the seventh time in school history gene that Tennessee has started the year as an AP top 10 team in the preseason like I knew it was I knew it was gonna be a small number but I didn't expect seven and, and two of those actually yeah two of those will have been under um Rick Barnes and in fact one year the I guess yeah the 2020-2021 season they started the year as a t- number 12 in the country in the AP poll so that you know top 15 uh I, they'll be top 15. I don't, I don't imagine they'll be lower than that, but top 15 three times under Rick Barnes would be pretty impressive. No other coach at Tennessee can say that. Yeah, Bruce Pearl had him at number seven and had him at number 10, but never didn't have any other top 15. Oh, no, no, he, he had one more top 15 team. The 0809 team started 14th. So, Barnes, and if, if again, I don't imagine they'll slip further than 15. So, Tennessee will be likely AP top 15 team. Uh, Barnes and Pearl will be the only two head coaches at Tennessee that have been able to do that. Ray Mears almost did it. He had a team that started 16th in the AP poll and he had two other ones that were in the top 15. So we'll, we'll get into that. I'm sure, like I said, next week or the, in the following weeks, but I just thought it was interesting that they're a top 10 team and I was a little surprised to see it. But again, as you just kind of laid out, it makes sense, but also preseason polls mattered very little in any sport, but like you said, probably the least in college basketball, but like you said, it, it really is a reflection of the respect that, and the consistency that the the you know the programs had under Rick Barnes and how good they've been on a year in year out basis over the last you know four or five seasons. But that'll wrap up this episode of Vol Basketball Fever. Thank you all so much for tuning in. As I said, top of the show, give this video a like and share it around if you're a Vol fan. Uh, Want to hear some recruiting talk about college basketball, um, recruiting talk for Tennessee specifically about J.P. Estrella, about, you know, kind of where Barnes is as a, as a recruiter, and just kind of some recruiting talk in general. And then we drifted off and, as we always do, kind of go on some tangents at the end about other topics as well, then circle back and get back to Tennessee. So hope you all enjoyed it. Uh, thank you all so much for the support, uh, support, excuse me. Really, really appreciate it. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast and Spotify if you can. And again, subscribe to this channel on YouTube if you haven't already, and share the video, share the podcast. Uh, before you know it, it'll be basketball season. I know it's football season right now, but basketball is almost here in Knoxville. Signing off for Gene, I am Nathaniel, and this has been another episode of Vol Basketball Fever. Thank you for listening to the Vol Basketball Fever podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you never miss a new episode. Subscribe to our YouTube channel for more video content and follow us on Twitter and Facebook as well 
Thank you, Hall fans. 